If anybody's biggest complaint about church is that they are too focused on money, uh, just take note that it took us over a minute to find our offering plate this morning. So um, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, I've been asked uh, several, by several people, what are we talking about today? And um, not in a sarcastic way, we are talking about Jesus. <laughs> um, normally, if we're talking about Jesus, talking about, uh, I'm against sin, you know, that's what we're talking about. Uh, today, we're actually talking about Jesus. And, um, and so we'll be, uh, we're finally at that major point in the Bible's story. The, the, the person who the whole Bible has been building up to at this point, and the one the, the rest of Scripture is about after this point, um, it's Jesus, and we're, we're finally at the pivotal uh, moment in the Bible story, so turn me Luke chapter 22, and as you're turning there, let me pray for us. We're going to get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your only son to come and die for us so that we can have a restored relationship with you. God, I, I am uh, well aware that I am uh, I am. I should not be able to proclaim good news this morning. I, I am so unworthy to proclaim good news that, that we can have a restored relationship with God because I don't deserve it, God. None of us do. And yet there is good news, there is hope, and there is a future because of you. Because you sent your son Jesus to die for us, God. So this morning let us be shaped and molded by your word. Let us have our eyes opened and our hearts awakened, our ears ready to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning, and let us celebrate and rejoice in the good news of the gospel. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. And do you know what it's like to put all of your hopes and your dreams in, in one person or in a group of people? Billy Moore does. Uh, in 1974, Billy Moore returned from deployment in Germany. And uh, he fell on some really hard times when he came back. He was taking care of a child all on his own. He, uh, all of his paychecks were going to his uh, girlfriend at the time who uh, left him while he was uh, overseas. And so when he came back, it would, it would take them 90 days to switch the paychecks over from going to her to going to him. And so he had 90 days of not getting any paycheck, taking care of a child all on his own. Uh, and so he had, no he had bills starting to pile up, meals uh, started getting skipped, and he got really desperate. And, and so Billy Moore heard from a friend that there was a guy down the road who had twenty dollars to $30,000 of cash at his house. So Billy, being desperate, decided to break into the man's house and to take his money. And that man scared Billy, which I find highly ironic because Billy was the one breaking into his house. But that man scared Billy. Uh, and so Billy, uh, when, when the man who owned the house uh, surprised him and scared him, Billy turned around and shot the man and killed him. And so the next day, Billy was arrested, was tried for murder, and was sentenced to death. Like everybody else on death row, he was languishing there in jail, waiting for appeal after appeal after appeal, hoping that one of them would work and that he would be able to live for the rest of his life. That he would, he would be able to, uh, to live the rest of his life maybe in jail, maybe, maybe out of jail, but just, just not get put to death uh, by the state. And he... So he tried appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal, and not one of them was working. And he recognized that his situation was dire. He had one last appeal, and he, he put all of his hope in this, this court of appeals. He put all of his hope in those judges that sat on that bench and, and was just hoping that maybe they could set him free. 
he knew what it was like to put all of your hope in one person or in a group of people. When we read the Old Testament, we see God's redemptive plan begin to take shape, begin to take form. We see that God declared that he would make for himself a people, that, that God would make for himself a people who would experience what it was like to be a Genesis 1 people, the, all of the blessings uh, that come with having a relationship with God, and that that people were to then spread those blessings, were to, uh, to then uh, give those blessings to the rest of the world, conforming the rest of the world back to the way it's supposed to be in Genesis chapter 1. We see that in, in David, that God said he would have an eternal kingdom with a, his chosen king on the throne over his people. We see God's redemptive plan begin to take shape, but we also see that it fell woefully short of what it was supposed to be with Israel. That Israel did not follow God's commands. Israel did not follow God's laws. And they were kicked out of the land. And, and when they came back, they were under Persian rule. They were under, eventually, Roman rule. They, they, they were separated from God, cast off from his blessings. They did not experience what they were supposed to experience. And so uh, that's where we're at. <laughs> and the Israelites were desperate. They were waiting because God had promised them a Messiah. God had promised them a Savior. God had promised them someone who would make things right, who would restore the kingdom of Israel to the way it was supposed to be, that, that God would restore God's kingdom to what it was supposed to be. He was, they were waiting for him. They were placing all of their hope and all of their, their dreams on this Messiah. They recognized that their situation as it stood was dire. And they desperately needed a Messiah. And they could not wait for him to come. Then stepped on the scene... Jesus, 2,000 years ago, right at this, this moment where the, where the Israelites were desperate for a Messiah, where the Israelites could all wait for a Messiah. They were, they were oppressed by the Romans. They were, uh, they were not independent. They could, uh, they could function in, in a, somewhat in their religious laws, but they were not following God. They were rebellious against him. They were desperate for God's man to come back, or to, to, to come to the world. Jesus stepped on the scene. And he lived a perfect life. He had about three years of public ministry. And while he was ministering, he picked up some disciples, some, some students along the way. And one night, about three years into his ministry, he's eating dinner with his disciples. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. When the hour came... Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. So you notice Jesus is, is eating dinner with his disciples, and this wasn't just any dinner. The hour had come 
Let's see that in verse 14. Specifically for the Passover meal. Passover was this Jewish ritual, celebration, that God instructed them to partake in uh, back in his law, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. They, they, were, they were commanded to take of the Passover. See, God, there were several feasts that God told the Israelites they had to, to participate in, and Passover was one of them. If you remember back in Exodus, God rescued his people from Egypt. God sent 10 plagues on the Egyptians, and he, he rescued his people out of the land of Egypt. And before the 10th plague, God told Moses what it would be. God said, the 10th plague, uh, is I, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every, per of every person in Egypt. The firstborn of every household in the land of Egypt. Every animal, every, every household, I'm going to kill the firstborn. But he promises to spare the Israelites if they kill a spotless lamb and paint its blood over the door. So when God comes through Egypt and kills the firstborn of every household, he passes over the houses with blood on the door. That's why it's called the Passover meal. Because Israel, every year, year after year, was to celebrate the fact that God rescued them, that God saved them, that God spared them because of the, the blood of a lamb. And that God rescued them out of their slavery and brought them into new life and freedom. That's what they celebrated year after year, and the time had come this year to take of that meal, to take of the Lord's Supper, to celebrate all that God had done way back when. So they're sitting at the table eating that Lord's Supper, and the apostles were with him, in verse 14, those disciples that he'd picked up along the way. Now in those days, uh, a, a rabbi student, a rabbi-disciple relationship was was similar almost to like a, a college or an apprenticeship where, where the, the student would give up everything to go follow this person. They would give up their way of life. They would give up uh, whatever it was they were doing. They'd give up their families. They would leave, and they would go follow this person around. They would learn from this person. They would sit under their teaching. They would, they would follow and obey and listen to this person. And, and you'd have to wonder why they would do that. <laughs> why would they give up everything to listen and to learn from and to study from this, this guy? And again, it's very similar to, to college in our day where, where so many people saw this as an opportunity to expand their minds and to maybe get some, some upward mobility in life. Maybe, maybe find themselves in a better position than before they started. And some of that was definitely there with the disciples, but it went a whole lot deeper than that. You know, some of the disciples may have been there because they thought they could get ahead. Some of the disciples may have may have thought they could learn, but, but it was so much deeper than that because the, the disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's not that he was just some good teacher. It's not that he was just some rabbi. They believed that he was the one that Israel had been desperately waiting for. Earlier in uh, Jesus' ministry, he asks the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, we think that you're the Christ. Now the word Christos in Greek, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. So, so the disciples are looking at Jesus, and they're saying, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that all of our hopes and dreams are placed upon. You're the one that's going to rescue Israel. You're the one that's going to save us. You're the one that's going to start this eternal kingdom that's never going to end. All of their hopes and their dreams were placed on the Messiah, and the disciples said, we think you're the guy. So they left everything to follow him. 
They left their businesses, they left their homes, they left their families, they left everything to follow this Jesus. Because they thought he's finally arrived. That Messiah that we've been waiting for forever, he is finally here. That Messiah that we placed all of our hopes and dreams upon, he's, he is here with us in the flesh. We found the guy and it's Jesus. So they left everything to follow him. And, and think about it. What they're expecting is for Jesus to set everything right with Israel. They're expecting Jesus to, to, to fix all of the brokenness that had existed in Israel for its entire existence. <laughs> the, the brokenness of heart, the, the, the failure of their ability to follow after God and to be the people of God. They expected Jesus to come in and to fix that, to give them new hearts, to make them clean, to make them whole, to, to fix everything that was broken. They expected Jesus to come in and to restore the Davidic kingship and to establish Israel as this eternal kingdom that's never going to end because that's what God promised. So they, in their mind, thought, obviously, you're going to throw off the Roman rule. You're going to overthrow the Roman government and give Israel independence. You can't be an eternal kingdom with, uh, within the Roman Empire. So they assumed he would throw off Roman rule, give Israel independence, because he was the Messiah. He was the one that would set everything right with Israel. He's the one that would give them the blessings of God and allow them to be the Genesis 1 people they were supposed to be and allow them to restore the world to what it was supposed to be. He was the Messiah, the one that they've waited for. All of their hopes and their dreams were placed on Jesus, which makes verse 15 devastating. Jesus says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover, Passover with you before I suffer. So sitting around eating the Passover meal, and Jesus says, I really, I'm really glad we get this opportunity. I really wanted to eat this with you because I'm going to suffer and die. Jesus' suffering had no place in their view of the Messiah. Like Jesus' suffering and dying uh, did not register to them when they viewed Jesus as the Messiah. All of their hopes and their dreams were placed on this guy to fix everything. And Jesus says, oh, I, I'm going to suffer and die. Imagine that you put everything, all of your eggs in one basket, your, your, your whole life, you're staking it on this guy being the Messiah, and all he, what he says to you in this dinner is, I'm going to suffer. Imagine going to college and you work really hard for four years or five years or six years to get a degree, and you're really proud of what you've accomplished, and you, you're really excited because you think that this degree is going to change your life. You think it's going to give you the opportunity to get ahead. You think it's going to give you the opportunity to, to get employment. You are, you are so excited because you have been working really hard for this paper. You couldn't wait for it. And now you finally graduated. You're sitting there in graduation, and the president gives his usual speech telling you, you did it. Congratulations. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, our school has been uh, uh, defunded by the state. Our school has been uh, excluded by the state. And we're no, we're no longer legally allowed to give degrees. You know how devastating that would be? To work for all those years, to finally think that you could get ahead, and the school says, oh, by the way, we can't actually give you a degree, but you worked really hard. Good job. Way to go. 
what the disciples experienced in this day and what the disciples experienced when Jesus went to the cross was ten times worse than what you would experience if that was you sitting there at a college graduation. Because this wasn't just a misemployment opportunity. This was a thousand years of historical context of, of hopes and dreams of Israel all placed on this guy. That they couldn't wait to see him restore Israel. They couldn't wait to see him be the Messiah, the Savior. They couldn't wait for him to restore everything to the way that, that it was. And then Jesus gets beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross and left to die a painful, slow death. Can you imagine how devastated the disciples would be? That their Messiah, the guy that they thought was going to restore everything, was actually about to die. Jesus says in verse 16, I tell you that I will not eat it. I will not eat the Passover until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is my, my, my suffering is coming soon. I'm not talking about some random day in the future after I've accomplished everything you want me to accomplish and there's just a little bit left to do uh, and have a few bad people left. My suffering is happening now. I am about to suffer. I will not eat this again and I will not eat it until uh, it is accomplished in the kingdom of God, until it is fulfilled. So his suffering is right around the corner. The guy that they have put all their hope in is about to die. It says again in verse 17, he takes the cup, he thanks God for it, and he says, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's saying, I will not drink of this anymore until God's kingdom finally comes. So what Jesus does is he points them forward. He says, the kingdom of God is coming. The, the restoration you're hoping for, it is coming. The, the, the new life that you're hoping for, it is coming, but that's in the future uh, I'm going to die. Like that, that, that beautiful future that you thought I would bring you, it is still going to come, but I'm going to die before it does. That, that peace and, and freedom that comes from God, the, the, the restoration that they're celebrating with the Lord, with, with, uh, with Passover, the, the, the freedom that they have, the, 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 the new life that they're celebrating, that will be fulfilled, but I'm going to die before it is. The kingdom of God will be established forever, but between now and then, I'm going to, I'm going to be murdered. <laughs> that did not compute in their minds. When you and I think of Jesus, we rightly think of the resurrection. But the disciples, they don't have any context for that. Jesus had told them several times that he was going to rise again, but that, that didn't really compute in their minds because for us, death is pretty universally uh, the end, right? Like death generally means no, no more life. And th there's no context in their mind for, a, for resurrection. There's no context in their mind for, for him continuing to do the work of the Messiah after being dead. And so they, they hear Jesus saying that he's going to be crucified on the cross. They hear Jesus saying he's going to suffer and they're devastated because the one that they put all of their hope and their trust in their thinking probably isn't the guy. 
I think they're thinking, we thought we found the Messiah, but he's really, he, he's really about to die, which proves he's not the guy. What they failed to realize is that God had a plan and that Jesus' suffering and dying was part of it. Look with me in verse 19. Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he breaks the bread, and he's using it as an illustration. He says, just as this bread is broken, my body is going to be broken, but when it is broken, it's broken for you. Every, every lash, every painful moment, every, every uh, dislocated joint, every time that his body is broken, it was for the disciples. Every time the whip pulled up flesh from his back was for the disciples. He says, just as the bread was broken, I am being broken for you. It's not just this sad moment in history. It's not this historical what if where, well, you know, what if the, the true king of Israel had just lived a little bit longer? This is, this is not some, some terrible, sad moment in history. This is Jesus being broken for his people. There's a purpose to it. There's a, a, a reason for it. He's being broken for his people. And he gets even more specific in verse 20. He said, likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. He, he takes the cup and he pours it out and you can see the, the red flowing like blood. He says, in the same way, my, my literal blood is going to pour out for you. We see just a few, a few moments later in Jesus' life, he's, He's marched away. He's betrayed by, by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. And the religious leaders of his day, they, they take him, they try him, they, they beat him, they put him before the Romans, and the Romans crucify him. Jesus is, is whipped. He is nailed to a cross, having nails driven through his wrists and his feet. And he is left there bleeding and dying, his blood literally pouring out upon the earth. Jesus says, when that happens and my blood is pouring out, it's signifying that a new covenant is coming. That I'm doing it to start a new covenant with you. That old covenant that Israel was under, all it did was prove that they desperately needed a Messiah. All it did was prove that they could not be the people of God. All it did was prove that they were incapable of fixing themselves and, and earning the favor of God. They desperately needed somebody to come and save them. And so Jesus says, my death on the cross, my blood being poured out is the start of a new covenant for you. It is a new opportunity to have eternal life with God, a new opportunity to have a restored relationship with God. And what Jesus says is my blood is paying the price for that. You don't have to earn it. You no longer have to check off all the boxes. You no longer have to fix yourself my blood will cover over you. And because of that, you can have a restored relationship with God. You don't have to earn it. You couldn't. Jesus says, my blood pays the price for you to have a restored relationship. There's a, a brand new covenant, something that has never happened before, but that was always God's plan. 
It was always God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross. We see in verse 21. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question to one another which of them it could be who is going to do this. Jesus says, I am going to get betrayed, and it's not going to be pretty for that guy who betrays me in the long run, which does signify that this is a, a horrific moment. We, we don't want to gloss over the death of Christ and go straight to the resurrection because it is a horrific and painful moment. That should never have happened if, we're, if fairness is applied. And so the, it is a bad thing that Jesus was, was turned over. The, the guy who betrayed Jesus was doing a terrible, wicked thing. And Jesus endured immeasurable suffering and pain. But he did it because it was part of God's plan. And it wasn't plan C or D when plans A and B failed. This was always God's plan. It was always God's plan for Jesus to fix everything. Noah couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Israel couldn't do it. It was always God's plan for Jesus to fix everything. It was always God's plan for that through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, but they would all be blessed because Jesus was coming from the line of Abraham. It was always God's plan that, that a Davidic king would sit on the throne and that he would rule righteously and perfectly, but it wasn't because David was great or any of his descendants, but because Jesus was from the line of David and he would rule and reign for all of eternity. It was always God's plan that the Passover lamb would signify Jesus and point forward to Jesus that every year the Israelites were eating this sacrificial lamb that, that showed that, that God would pass over their sins, God would pass over their judgment that they deserved, that God would pass over with the blood on the doorway. The blood of the lamb would save them, and they ate that year after year after year, pointing forward to the fact that there would be a spotless, perfect lamb who would die in their place and who would rescue them from their sin and death. That was always part of God's plan. He built sacrifices into the Old Testament law to point them forward to the fact that it wasn't their greatness that would save them. It wasn't their perfection that would save them. It was the fact that there was one who would die for them, whose blood would be spilled, and that by faith in him you could be saved. We finally see in crystal clear picture God's redemptive plan for the world. And it's to make for himself a people and an eternal kingdom. But it's by the death and resurrection of Jesus that those things take place. It is by the death and resurrection of Jesus that all sin is done away with. It's by the death and resurrection of Jesus that freedom can come. That new life can come. That, that a new heart can come into our broken, sinful lives. It is by the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can be saved. That was always part of God's plan. And that was always the core of God's plan, and that's why the entire story of the Bible revolves around Jesus. Because it either points forward to the salvation that was to come or it points back to and remembrance the salvation that was to come or that came in Jesus. That was always God's plan then, and it is still God's plan today. Just as the disciples were able to enter into the kingdom of God by the death and resurrection of Jesus, so you and I can enter into a relationship with God. We can enter into the kingdom of God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
celebrate the gospel. Celebrate what God has done in your life. Celebrate this glorious good news of the gospel that, that, that we can have a restored relationship with God because of Jesus. That's what, what Jesus is talking about when he says, eat this in remembrance of me, drink this in remembrance of me, just as the Passover feast was a celebration of what God did for Israel. So eating of the bread and drinking of the cup in the, in the Lord's Supper is a celebration of what God has done for us, that he has set every single one of us free from sin and death if we place our faith in Jesus. That he has rescued us from our brokenness, that he has, he has saved us from everything we've ever done wrong, and he has restored us in a relationship with God purely because of his grace, purely because of his love, purely because of the blood of Jesus. And we celebrate that, that we are all on equal footing, sinners before God, but now saved and forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Some of you today have never placed your faith in Jesus. Some of you today have never placed your hope in Jesus. You've never relied on him unlike anything you've ever relied on in your life. You've never come to the place where you recognize that you are in a dire situation and you desperately need a Messiah. You desperately need somebody to save you and rescue you from your brokenness. So this morning, you have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God. You have felt your brokenness. Every single one of us have. And you may be trying to fill it with, with drugs or relationships or alcohol or money, thinking that some of those things may finally fill you up. Some of those things may finally fix your brokenness. Some of those things may finally make you right. But what you were designed for was a relationship with God. And anything else is far short of what you were designed for. And if you are separated from God, you will not experience his blessing and the eternal life that comes from him. But you have the opportunity today to experience that. You have the opportunity today to experience life in Jesus. So this morning, we're going to pray. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. Cast your hopes and your cares on him and to rely on him. And if you have, then celebrate that today. Celebrate the fact that you've been set free in Jesus. Celebrate the fact that you have eternal life because of Christ. And go and tell that story to the world. Go and proclaim the good news outside of these doors into the community. That there is eternal life, that there is salvation in Jesus. There is no better news. So share it. Billy Moore was sitting there on death row and he was about to be executed. They were about to shave his head to get ready for the electric chair when the warden burst in. He says, what are you doing? This guy's been set free. The Court of Appeals was, uh, was holding a session and the family of the guy that, that Billy murdered walked in and said, we forgive him. While in prison, Billy had placed his faith in Jesus, had turned from his life, had been leading Bible studies, and, and had a, a profound impact for the kingdom in prison. The family of the, the man that Billy murdered walked before the Court of Appeals and said, we forgive him and we ask that you would release him. And the judges complied. So the warden bursts in and he gives Billy his freedom. 
says you've been forgiven, you've been set free. He placed all of his hope, his last ditch effort, he placed it before the Court of Appeals and they, they gave him forgiveness and they gave him his freedom. That same thing can happen for you this morning. That by the blood of Jesus, you can be set free before God. You can have eternal life and forgiveness from sin. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, we're going to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And when we do so, we're going to celebrate the fact that we have eternal life. But if you have never experienced eternal life in Jesus, if you've never placed your hope and your faith in him, you know that you cannot celebrate the gospel. You cannot celebrate your entrance into the kingdom of God. You cannot celebrate the blessings you've received from him because you have not yet entered the kingdom of God. So if you cannot rightly say that you have entered the kingdom of God, you have participated in the gospel, you've been dramatically changed by Jesus, then this morning you have that opportunity. If that's you and you say, I want to place my faith and my hope in Jesus for the very first time, I invite you just to just slip your hand up this morning. Just raise your hand if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and this morning for the very first time, you want to put your hope in him, just raise your hand. challenge for you. Every single one of you sitting, your heads bowed and your eyes closed, my challenge for you is to be so overwhelmed with the gospel that you can't help but share it. So overwhelmed with the gospel that this room would be filled every week by new people who have, who have heard and received freedom from Jesus because you went and told them. This morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do it a little bit different than you may be used to. We're not going to pass the plate around. We're not going to do anything like that. We have the plates up here with a cracker and with some juice. This is to be a moment of celebration. That every single one of, his, every single one of us is on the same page and on the same footing. That we are new people because of Jesus. So let's celebrate that together. So take a moment where you are and get to the place where you are celebrating the gospel, where you reflect on the new life that you have in Jesus, where you reflect on the blessings that he's given you, when you reflect on, on the fact that you've been set free because of Jesus. And then come to the front, take a cracker, take a juice, you can drink it up here, you can drink it on your way back to your seat, you can drink it at your seat. But let's celebrate together. When you come to the place where you are ready to celebrate, leave your seat, come to the front, get the elements, partake of the Lord's Supper. And if you've already taken it this morning, celebrate with everybody else who's taking Celebrate as one family that we have all been set free because of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We did not deserve eternal life. We did not deserve forgiveness of sin. We were inherently broken, failures, rebels against you, God. We had a heart that was broken and could not be fixed. But God, because of Jesus, we can have a restored relationship with you. And we celebrate that this morning. Let this room be filled with joy from people who have been redeemed and set free from all their sin and death and have new life in you, God. Let this room be filled with joy as a celebration erupts that we are all people saved 
by Jesus. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.